I want to invite you, if you will, to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 12. Actually, we're going to be in a single verse for much of the teaching this morning. We are, as uh, as has already been mentioned, in week five of this series that we've titled Shaped by God. We've been looking at the different ways that God has put us each together uniquely, how how he formed us, how he created us, how how he gifted us for his purposes on the planet, those purposes being uniquely tailored and delegated to each of you. We've used this little acronym, S-H-A-P-E, SHAPE, to remind us of the different ways that God has packaged us in our lives. He's given us spiritual gifts, the legacy that is part of those who come to Christ that endows them specifically for the work of God in their life. We looked at heart, our passions, our interests, those things that just get our pulses racing. We looked at abilities last week, the things that you're just naturally good at. And you know you're naturally good at them because you don't even know you're good at them. They just, they come so easily to you. You can't imagine that they wouldn't come easily to everybody else. This morning, we're going to look at personality and the purpose of your personality. And then next week, as we close up the series, We'll look at the experiences of our lives, the good ones, the bad ones. Nothing gets wasted by God. If you've missed any of the messages in the series and and you want to catch up, and I encourage you to do so, uh, they're all available on the church website. You can listen in. You can stream them on your phone. You can listen in your car, and uh, and I hope that you'll do that. But this morning, we're going to look at personality, which is a complicated topic uh, those of you who have been in the workplace for any length of time have probably been exposed to a variety of different personality screening tools, the Myers-Briggs personality inventory, the, the granddaddy of them all, the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory that, that runs, what, 30 pages and takes an hour and a half to finish. Uh, those of you who have been working on Monday nights in small groups, you did the True Colors um, way of looking at personality. All of these are blunt instruments, but they're a way at getting at a truth about us that part of who we are, part of how God has made us is reflected in our personality. And rather than going to any one of those sort of psychological assessment tools, I wanted to find a launching off point in scripture. And here's where it is. And you're going to have to bear with me a little bit because uh, it's going to take a a fair bit of mental agility to get where we want to go. But let me give you this scripture, and it's it's a key one. It's absolutely central to God's word. Mark 12, verse 30, you know these words. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We know that as what? The great commandment. And you recall how it comes about. A man comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, could you summarize the scriptures for me? Could you just give us the Coles Notes version of the Bible, a summary? You know, it took us over a year to do a Bible summary. Jesus does it here in two verses. Okay, this is it, he says. If you don't get anything else, get this one. The number one purpose in life is this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are other purposes in your life, perhaps, but that's the most important thing. God didn't put you here on planet Earth just to check off a bunch of things on a to-do list. He put you here to learn what it means to love and to love with all heart and soul and mind and strength. How do you do that? And what's the difference between heart and soul? 
or the difference between soul and strength. One of the ways that you can understand the difference is through the lens of personality. And so we're going to use the great commandment in that way as a way of opening a door to understanding personality. Because the reality is that every one of us, while we have attributes of all of those things, will tend to focus on God and ourselves and other people through one of those lenses more than the other. Heart, soul, mind, strength. It's part of your God-given personality. And to be clear, God wants us to worship him, to serve him with all of those aspects, but we're going to gravitate towards one of those more than the others. And you don't worship the way the person next to you worships. I mean, that's clearly obvious. Uh, I sometimes look around during worship. I, I know that's unnerving for people. Is he looking at me? Yeah, maybe I am. But, you know, some people are worshiping with their eyes closed. They're just in rapture. Some people are worshiping exuberantly and boisterously. You know, the words are just belting out of them. Others are just, you know, they're... There may be the words aren't coming out at all, but they're introspective. They're there. Others are worshiping with their whole body and not so much in Baptist churches in Canada. But, you know, what I'd like to look at is the way that that we we understand God's makeup in our lives by focusing on each of those dimensions that are reflected in the great commandment. Now, to be clear. The Great Commandment is not a personality assessment tool. And I don't want you to walk away thinking it is that. But it is one way of opening a doorway to understanding personality. And that's how we're going to use it. And if you look at the notes on the back page of your order of service, you'll sort of see where we're, where we're going. We're going to suggest that, um, that heart-oriented people worship the Lord with all your heart are good at talking. And I'll I'll tell you why we're suggesting that. There is a connection between hearts and words. But these are people who are verbal, or at least they tend to be verbal. They're good at talking. They're good at discussions. They're good at putting words together. Soul people are good at feeling. They tend maybe not to be quite as verbal, but they're emotional. They'll feel things very deeply. They tend to be more in touch with what's going on inside of them emotionally than the rest of us. Mind people, no surprise here, are good at thinking, more cognitive, maybe more cognitive than they are verbal or emotional. They can analyze things. They're great at assessment. Strength people, though, they're wired to do stuff. They're more practical. They just want to get on with it. Let's not spend so much time thinking about it or feeling it out or even talking about it. Let's just get it done. Strength people. Now, All of you, all of us, are a blend of all of those things. We're a combo, a mix. But we tend to act primarily in some of those spheres more than in others. Usually one takes the lead in your life. And so we're going to look at each of those four and look at how they can be used in the way that you worship God, uh, the way that you serve the Lord, We're going to look at some of the weaknesses of those things, some of the challenges from those things. But but the key thing is to to be able to embrace the fact that this is, in fact, how God made you. It's not an accident. And the most honest posture that we use to begin our worship and service is by embracing how we are. Romans 12 says, love God from the very center of who you are and don't fake it. Don't fake it. If you're a feeler, that's okay. 
But if you're not a feeler, don't fake it. Don't fake emotion. If you're not a thinker, you don't need to pretend that you are. If you're not a talker, well, then you can say, no, I don't want to give the sermon next week, pastor. Let's give that over to somebody else. If you're not a doer, be honest about that. Just be who God made you to be. In fact, let's, let's see where we think our starting points are. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, in each of those four sectors to raise your hand. Okay, we'll, we'll do them one at a time. But if you think that, yeah, I'm primarily verbal, I'm a talker, I'll have you raise your hand in a second. If the person next to you doesn't raise their hand for any of these, you get to point to them and make a suggestion. All right, but here we go. How many of you say, I'm pretty verbal, I'm a talker? I'm just looking around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. How many of you would say, uh, not so much of a talker, but I feel things deeply. I know I'm an emotional person. That's you. Yeah. For some of you, that makes today an especially hard day, doesn't it? How many of you would say, forget those two. Uh, I'm not a talker. I'm not a feeler. I process things here. I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm rational. They are. Most certainly. And for how many of you would say, forget all of that. Let's get her done. Get her done. Yeah. These are the... In fact, hold your hands. I wish I had a camera. (laughs) Hold your hands up again, you doers. We need some of them, Pastor Sheldon. Do you have your phone? (laughs) Click, click. Okay. Now... Let's spend a little bit of time and look at each of the four personalities. The first style, love the Lord your God with all your heart. These are the talkers. What's the connection here? In the Bible, over and over again, there's a connection that's made directly between the heart and the mouth. In the Bible, the heart is not the organ of emotion. It is the organ of action that's precipitated here. For instance, if I have a problem with cussing, swearing, profanity, that's not a mouth problem, that's a heart problem. If I tend to judge people and I'm critical and sarcastic, the problem is not here, the problem is here. If I exaggerate things, if I shade the truth, that's not a problem with my mouth, it's a problem with my heart. And if I tend to say the things that people want me to say rather than what needs to be said, again, not a problem with the mouth, a problem with the heart. That makes some sense, right? This is what Jesus said. This is how he put it. The words that come out of your mouth, in fact, come from your heart. Now, heart people can't help but speak. The Psalms are filled with heart, people. My mouth shouts his praises because my heart is filled with joy. But whatever your heart is filled with is going to kind of leak out here. If your heart is filled with anger, anger is going to come out of your mouth. If it's filled with joy, it'll be joyful words. There is this definite connection between heart and mouth. Talkers are the verbal people who worship God from their heart, but it comes out here. Now, no surprise, heart people have a real hard time being quiet in the room. It says in the Bible, I shouted the praises of the Lord because my heart was filled. When your heart is filled, if you're a heart person, you let it out. You've got to tell other people. Uh, David, King David, a heart person. Listen to what he says in Psalm 40. I've not kept this good news hidden in my heart. Instead, I've talked about it. You see the connection? Heart and talk. 
I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone. That's, that's the mark of a talker. They tell everyone. I've told everyone of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Heart people love to tell stories. They love to sit and converse. They love to have, well, we call them heart-to-heart conversations, right? You're a talker. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You get pleasure out of the experience of being in conversation. You, you begin to shrivel up a little bit inside when you're deprived of it. You just enjoy talking. Now, what's the purpose of that personality of talkers? The world needs communication, doesn't it? We need people who are communicators, who can lead discussions, who can verbalize what the rest of us feel, but we can't find the words as easily as you do. You ever had this experience? I've had it where I'm listening to somebody speaking and I think, you know, I felt just that way, but I didn't know how to express it. I didn't know how to say it, how to put words around it. And you just did. We need people who are good at verbalizing what's going on inside of the rest of us. We need teachers. We need coaches, those who can direct us and teach us. We need comedians. We need preachers. Hopefully they're not the same, but... You know, we, we need people who are, whose lives are built on all kinds of verbal skills in order to move the world forward. If you're a talker, and about one-fourth of you probably are, then let me encourage you to use your personality, to use it in good and positive ways, because there are enormous benefits to being a gifted talker. Let me give you a couple of them. The book of Proverbs, which, by the way, if you're a talker, this is your book. The book of Proverbs is for you over and over again. Good advice for your personality type. What do what do you do with the words that just flow out of you? Proverbs twelve eighteen says the words of the wise bring healing. The right kind of words spoken at the right time can heal a broken heart. They can restore. They can cure. They can encourage, develop, build all kinds of things. I want to challenge those of you who are talkers to use your words and say, every time I speak, I'm going to try and build someone up. Because we know that words can certainly tear a person apart, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to admit that this is the way God made me. The words flow out of me. I can't seem to stop it. But every time I speak, I'm going to use my words to build people up, not tear them down. Proverbs 14, verse 3. The words of the wise keep people out of trouble. Use your ability to verbalize in order to guide and direct and point the rest of us in the right direction. Proverbs 18, verse 4, a person's words can be a source of wisdom as deep as the ocean, as fresh as a flowing stream. If you're a person who is a talker, God says, I want the words that come out of you to be as fresh as a stream. I want you to use them to bless people. Now, what are the weaknesses of that personality, of talkers? One of them is obvious. The more you talk, the greater the risk that your words are going to get you in trouble, right? That's just the odds. If you don't say much, less possibility of messing it up. This is what the Bible says, Proverbs 10. The more you talk, the more likely you are to sin. In other words, you're eventually going to say the wrong thing, or you'll say the the right thing, but at the wrong time or to the wrong person. If you're talking all the time, be aware that this is not only your greatest strength, it is also your greatest area of risk. That's true of all four of the personalities 
But the other thing that the Bible says about this, if you are verbally oriented, is that it can reveal insecurity. When I have to talk all the time, when I feel like I have to fill up the room with my own voice, that sometimes is rooted in insecurity. And a lot of people get very, very uncomfortable with silence. The Bible says this, Proverbs 17, verse 27, those who are sure of themselves don't feel they have to talk all the time. If you're a confident person, you don't have to fill in all the gaps. You don't have to talk all the time. So here's God's warning to the talkers. You also have to act. Proverbs 14, verse 23. Get to work. Earn a living. Don't just sit around talking. Or you'll be poor. (laughs) That's... It's pretty sage advice, isn't it? It's saying that at some point you've got to move ahead. There are people who never get past the discussion stage. What are you doing with your life? I'm talking about doing this. How long have you been talking about it? About three years. When are you going to stop talking and start doing? I'm aiming to. Well, how long have you been talking about? A long time. What is it that you've been talking about doing? Maybe for months, maybe for years, you've never done it. You need to move ahead. One of the great things about being part of, of a community, the body of Christ, is that we can complement each other. Uh, my staff team, who probably are getting to know me pretty well, know that I am more of a talker than a doer. I just tend to be able to express it, but I can't get it done. And they've clued into this, and so they ask repeatedly, can I do that? I mean, that thing you keep talking about, can, can I take that off your plate? Can, can I get it done? Because you just keep talking about it, but we never get anywhere. But So it's, it, it's good advice for those of us about our own personality, but it's also a good reminder that in the context of the body of Christ, a team, a community, we also complement each other. Parents need to know this, right? It takes more than words to raise a child, to make a point. Proverbs 29, verse 19. Sometimes mere words are not enough. Sometimes discipline is needed. For those of us who are the talkers, it's discipline that we have to cultivate. So that's the first personality type, the talkers. They love God with all their heart. Let's look at a second. Let's look at those who love God with all their soul. These are the feelers. And what does that mean? The word soul in the Bible is used in many different ways But much of the time, it's used as a synonym for the emotional core of who we are. Bless the Lord, O my soul, from the depths of who I am, for the emotional core of my being, I'm calling forth praise. By the way, the reason you have emotions, the reason all of us have emotions, is because you are made in God's image. And God is emotional. I'm not sure how we have inherited this idea sometimes that God is stoic and and, and reserved. The Bible doesn't describe God in those terms at all. God is emotional. God gets angry. God is jealous. God rejoices. The, The reason that you have emotions is that you have been made in God's image. And the book of Psalms, and by the way, if if you're a soul person, this is your book. 
the book of Psalms, written by, by the great soulful feelers of the Old Testament, probably records every emotional state that humanity has ever experienced. It talks about a downcast soul, a disturbed soul, a satisfied soul, a yearning soul, a troubled soul, a forlorn soul, a joyful soul, and the list goes on. A bitter soul, a thirsty soul, hungry soul, rejoicing soul, a delighted soul, a longing soul. But you hear the passion, the emotion in the words. Soul people feel their emotions deeply, and they're deeply in touch with their emotions. In fact, they have a hard time holding them in. And often they think they're doing a great job of holding them in, but they're not. (laughs) They're passionate people. And when it comes to worship, they get passionate about it. They're the ones who sing with conviction as the deer pants for streams of living water. They're the ones who, you know, when, when you sing, this is the air I breathe, I'm desperate for you, they get that. The thinking-oriented people say, that doesn't make any sense. Of course there's air and I breathe it. But what does this have to do with God? They're closing their eyes. They're just they're soaking in the, the rapturous state of being in the presence of God. These are the soul people. Why do we need them? Why do we need these feeling-oriented people? Because the world needs more than just communication. It needs compassion. God is a passionate, compassionate God. And these people, too, reflect a part of the personality of their creator. We need people who care deeply and deeply care about issues. They care deeply about knowing God and helping others. And they can empathize and sympathize with the pain of other people. We need them. A feeler tends to be a people person. And they're often the most popular person in the group because at some level, we know that they understand what's going on in our lives. You can go up to a talker and say, I'm having a bad day, and they'll talk your ear off with counseling and advice. Or you go to a thinker and say, I'm having a bad day, and they'll tell you 10 reasons why you're having a bad day. Or a doer and say, I'm having a bad day, and they'll just tell you, well, you need to do these three things. But somebody who's gifted and wired and has personality in this area will just, you have the sense that they get it. They understand. Somebody on this planet understands who I am and how I'm feeling. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to each other. Be tenderhearted. Forgive each other for God in Christ has forgiven you. God says, I have been tenderhearted towards you. I've been kind to you. I've been loving and gracious. I want you to act that way with other people. We're all to do that, right? But the feelers, they're just better at it. It comes more easily to them. Are there weaknesses to that personality? I mean, sure there are. Feelers are always going to be more swayed by and tempted by their emotions than the rest of us. If if you're soul-oriented, feeling-oriented, you know this about yourself, right? It's easy to be manipulated by your moods. You'll tend to say, I want to do this. Why? Because I feel like it. Or I don't want to do it because I just don't feel it today. You're controlled by an ocean of emotion in your life. And the problem with that is that while feelings are absolutely key to who we are, they aren't always the most accurate gauge of the truth. Just because you feel it doesn't make it right or good or true. 
You can be discouraged. You can feel like the whole world is going to hell around you, but it's not. Or you can feel that everything is bad in my life and I'm worthless, but you're not. Feeling that way doesn't make it true. In fact, sometimes what you feel like doing is not the right thing. And sometimes what you don't feel like doing is the right thing. And if the only thing that you use as the basis of judgment in your life is how you feel, you're going to stumble. You're going to be tempted probably more severely than other people in the areas of emotion. It feels so good. How can it be wrong? If loving is wrong, I don't want to be right. Isn't that a song? Stacks, from the Stacks label, 1970s. If loving is wrong, I don't want to be right. That was written by a feeler, I'm sure. Everybody's tempted. Thinkers have their temptation. Doers have their temptation. Talkers have their temptation. But, But nothing quite tempts you so severely as when it hooks into your emotions. You get the emotions involved And that's when temptation really ratchets itself up in your life. You're going to be tempted for the rest of your life. The Bible says that very clearly. First Peter chapter two, since your real home is in heaven. In other words, you're not going to be here forever. Keep away from some of the evils and the temptations of this world. They're not for you, but they fight against your very soul. Your emotions. Keep away from them. Don't give in to them. Don't don't do that. So what's the warning to feelers? So here it is. You must let something other than your emotions lead you. Let God lead you. Don't be led by your emotions, it says. Galatians 5.15. Don't be led by your emotions, but be led by the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires only of the human nature. We all have desires, right? Not all of them are good desires. You have some good ones. You have some bad ones. But if you give in to them, then they have, a, they have a tendency to take authority and take a dominant position in your life. You will either be controlled by your desires and your emotions, or you can resolve that I'm going to let God be the final authority in my life. I'll let God's spirit lead me. It doesn't mean you don't have the emotions. It just means you don't give them final authority in your life. A lot of people think, if I feel it, I'll do it. Once I become a Christian, God will take away all of my bad feelings. No, he doesn't. You're going to have some of those for the rest of your life. But a follower of Christ is not someone who has no feelings. A follower of Christ is someone who doesn't yield final authority to their feelings, doesn't give in, doesn't get addicted to, doesn't let negative or or bad feelings control them. That's the feelers. How are we doing for time? They changed the clock at the back, by the way, because I, I think they thought it wasn't, I wasn't seeing it. <laughs> yeah, I see it. Talkers. Talkers love God with their heart. Feelers love God with their souls. Thinkers love God with their minds. Do you know you can love God with your intellect? That's good news for some of you, right? That when you're engaged in intellectual activities, it brings glory to God. I've never said I want to take the brain out of you, put it on a shelf, and then come follow me. No, I want you to use your mind, use your brain, use your intellect. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. And when you're developing your mind, when you're educating yourself, it's an act of worship. It's doing something with what God gave you. 
people who are thinkers, when they become believers, they very quickly fall in love with this, with the Word of God. They love to study it, and they love to study it in a deep and engaging way because they know there's, there's nothing else in all the world like it. The deeper you go, the deeper it gets. The answer to the questions that the thinkers love to ask, why am I here? Where am I going? What am I here for? What's the purpose of life? Does it matter? Where did I come from? They're all here. And so they want to dig in deeply. They're, they're not interested in skimming along the surface. These are archaeologists. They want to go deep beneath the surface. Psalm 119 talks about them. How I love your law. I want to think about it all day long. Here at MCBC, we... We provide loads and loads of Bible studies. After we finish the shape study, you might want to do one of the studies in your small group. Sheldon has tons of resources. We're going to be doing this this study on relationships and on emotional health rooted in the teaching of Scripture. We're doing studies on apologetics. On Sunday mornings and starting in just a couple of weeks, we're going to do a series on the parables of Jesus. A chance for you to go deeply if you're thinkers. Doesn't mean the rest of you are excused, but thinkers, you're going to love these ones. Why do we need thinkers in the world? We need talkers because communication is so important. We need feelers because co- compassion is essential. We need thinkers because the world needs consideration. Somebody has to wrestle with the complex issues. And God help us when we don't have those somebodies in power, but that's another sermon. Complex problems. Somebody's got to be thinking through the implications of what the rest of us are doing. We need people who can think through the tough problems and bring real solutions to the table. That's why we need scientists and writers and, and philosophers. We need inventors and innovators. We need creators who are thinking through the problems that are in the world. The Bible tells us that that. We're to think about what God wants to do in our own lives. Lamentations 3, verse 40. We should think about the way that we are living and then turn back to the Lord. The unexamined life isn't worth living. Was that Socrates? Was I paying attention in philosophy class? We need to think about our lives. Thinkers are good at this. They just love to ponder the path that they're headed. Are there weaknesses to this personality? Of course. At least two that I could think of right away. One is pride. Thinkers, we have a tendency to, because we think and process quickly, or we've got lots of education behind us, we have a tendency to look down on people who cannot keep up with the speed of our thought or haven't had a chance to learn what we've learned. You're not sophisticated. You're not educated. You don't know what we know. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 says this. Knowledge makes people arrogant. Yeah. But love builds them up. The King James language is even more descriptive. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you're going to be smart, great. Use your smarts but temper them with love. And remember this, everybody is ignorant. We're just ignorant on different subjects. Nobody knows everything. The Bible says, don't be proud of your wisdom. Be proud that you know the Lord. 
If you're a thinker, you ought to use your intelligence, but temper it with love. Otherwise, just become egotistical. The other problem with thinkers can be indecision. We want to ponder so much that we never actually decide. Some people use study as an excuse to never act. The Bible talks about them too. This is a, a little verse from Second Timothy, verse three, or chapter three, verse seven. Describes them saying they're always studying, but they're never able to recognize the truth. And so the Bible gives this warning to thinkers, just as uh, warnings come to talkers and feelers. Practice humility. That's the first warning. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom, says in Proverbs 3. Humility is a choice. Practice humility. By the way, never pray to God that God will humble you. In the first place, never once does the Bible command you to pray that way. It doesn't say ask God to humble you. Don't ask for that. What the Bible does say is humble yourself. Humility is a choice. Humility is something that you do, that you cultivate. Nobody else can make it happen for you. They can humiliate you, but they can't make you humble. Humility is something you do yourself. In essence, humility is rooted in and flows from a dependence on God. And depending on you, God, I'm trusting you in this moment. With all the gifts and talents that you may have given me, I'm still trusting you. Humility isn't denying your strengths, but it's being honest about your weaknesses. And the other warning to thinkers is, is that we need to practice what we know. This is the great teaching of the book of James in chapter 122. Don't merely listen to words. That's all you do. You deceive yourself. Do what they say. You could come to MCBC for 20 years. You could take notes on every sermon ever preached and still never really do it. You only really believe the parts of the Bible that you actually do. Do you believe that you ought to give to the poor? Yes. Do you do it? No. Then you don't believe it. Do you really believe that people need Christ in order to come to God? Yes. Do you tell them about it? No. Then you don't believe it. Do you really believe in sacrificial giving? Yes. Do you do it? No. You only believe in the parts that you do. You may write down in your notes, be kind to my wife, but if you're not kind to her, you don't believe it. You only believe the parts that you do. Talkers love God with all their heart. Feelers love God with all their soul. Thinkers love God with all their mind. And here's the last one. Doers love God with all their strength. This is the fourth personality type. These are the get it done people. The achievers, the accomplishers, the workers. They push things forward. They make things happen practically in the world. Psalm 116, verse 16 says, Oh God, here I am. I'm your servant. I'm faithful. Set me free and put me to work. Set me free for your service. Really what he's saying is this. Put me in, coach. Put me in. I want to be in the game. Don't leave me on the sidelines. I need to be involved. I don't want to just watch history unfold. I want to make history. At least give me a shot. I'm willing to go to work, Lord. I'm obedient. I'm active. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to serve. 
What's the purpose of doers in the world? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Not just, not just communication and, and compassion and consideration. The world needs people to make a contribution. We need people to get it done. They have initiative and energy. They're oriented towards action. They have a bias towards achievement. They just have a drive for starting things and growing things and building things and developing things. These are the hands and feet people of the world, the go-getters. The Bible says in Romans 12, verse 1, offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. It says offer your body. Why? Because that's the only way that you put it all in motion. Even though your mind and your mouth and your heart, your emotions are all part of the body, the body as a whole has to be in motion. God, here it is, my body. All of it for you. Use it in the world any way that you need me to be used. Just as talkers and feelers and thinkers, they have their weaknesses. What are the weaknesses of the doers? Well, we could probably say it in one word. Overwork. Doers are always working. Work, work, work. And sometimes they don't take the time to actually stop and think. Or they don't feel. Consideration, communication. Now, nah, let's just get to it. They're always busy. This is what God says in Psalm 127 in verse 2. It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. Might be a good verse for some of you to put up on the mirror in the bathroom. Psalm 127 verse 2. God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. I was reading a beautiful, beautiful but challenging verse in Jeremiah this week. It comes in chapter 2, in verse 25. And I want to read it to you in a, in kind of a gifted paraphrase. It's called the message. Jeremiah 2.25. Slow down. Take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. False gods, phony gods, fake gods, not the true God. I'm addicted to alien gods and I can't quit. What are the alien gods that you're addicted to? The approval of other people, rewards, status, praise, sensuality, adrenaline, whatever it is that makes you rush and work fast and you can't slow down. What are you really after? You need to know that, particularly if you're a doer. Why is it that you do what you do? And then when you know the why, God can show you the how. But first, slow down. A lot of us need to do more, but some of you need to do less. Not less for God, but just less so that you have time to focus on what matters. Well, let's wrap it up. The Bible says when you become a believer, God makes you a new person from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17, when anyone becomes a Christian, they're a new person. The old has passed away. The new has come. What actually is it that's new when you come to Christ? 
Your past is forgiven, a new reason for living, a hope for the future. But let me tell you what doesn't change. Your personality. If you were a talker before you knew the Lord, you're a talker still. If you were a feeler before you knew the Lord, you're still a feeler. If you were a thinker, before, and you know what it means. God doesn't change your personality when you come to him, but he changes your direction. Remember this as we wrap up. Your personality came from God. It's part of his design and his gift for you. He doesn't want to make you a clone of everybody else. Not in the way that you worship, not in the way that you serve. I want you to worship and serve me the way that I made you to be. And not only that, I will strengthen your personality, not dampen it. I'm going to make you more you than you've ever been. For I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. You want to say this with me? Dear God, thank you for making me, me. Forgive me for comparing and trying to be somebody that I'm not. Lord, I want you to use my personality. You've given it to me, Lord, to know you and to love you and to serve you. I want to be the expression of what you made me to be. And today I say to you, Jesus, I want to fulfill the great commandment. I want to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength. In your name I pray. Amen.